Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Good morning. Hey, my name is Jake. I am the uh, student life pastor here. So many of you I have not met yet. Uh, many of you I have. And for those of you who have, we just want to say thank you. Um, we've only been here for a few months, but I've felt so welcomed and so much hospitality, and we are really just excited to be here, and um, we're excited about what God is doing here. But thank you to those of you who have welcomed us and shown us so much love. Um, so in 1967, a group of researchers presented some research they had done to a uh, congressional committee, and they told them this, that by 1985, Americans would work 22 hours a week 27 weeks out of the year. And the reason, if you're wondering why on earth they were presenting this to him, is because there was a concern that Americans were actually going to have so much free time on our hands that that would actually create problems. So, yeah, I guess we could say they got that one pretty wrong. Because unfortunately, we do not have more free time than ever, Right? Um, I was on Facebook probably a couple months ago, and I saw this friend, uh, she's a mom of two kids, and she said that she spent three hours waiting in the pediatrician's office that day, which she probably needs to find a new pediatrician for one thing, but she said that was the best three hours of her month because it was the only time that she had to slow down. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit over the top to many of you, but maybe for some of you, that's your reality. But regardless, I'm pretty sure that we can all agree, and most of you in this room would say that, yeah, I'm a pretty busy person. It really doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, doesn't matter whether you're a kid, a parent, or an empty nester, even retirees, everybody is busy and everybody feels this push. And so I think the first question we have to ask then is, why? Why are we so busy? And I want to suggest to you that the problem is not just that we've got a lot going on, but that we live in a culture of busyness. And here's what I mean by that. In our culture, in our world, busyness is seen as a badge of honor. We have this way of thinking that says, if I'm doing all the time, if I'm busy, that must mean I'm important. That must mean I'm accomplishing something. And on the flip side, We think that if I'm not busy, if I don't have much going on, I must just be lazy. And so I probably need to find something else to do. We live in this culture of busyness. And I see this all of the time with middle and high school students, because middle and high school students live in this narrative that says, if you want to be successful in life, if you want to be comfortable in life, if you want to have this vision of the good life, here's what you need to do. You need to work hard in school so you get the grades, so you get the job, or you get into the school so you get the job, so that you have the house and you can live in the town and have comfort and yada, yada, yada. And on the surface, don't hear me saying that's all bad, right? Like, we don't want to discourage students from working hard, right? Laziness does not honor and glorify God. So that's not what I'm getting at. But the underside of that narrative that they live in is that students constantly have this sense that I can never do enough that I have to do more and more and more. If I want to be successful, I can't stop. And the reality is students drive themselves into the ground being more stressed and more anxious and more tired than ever. 
But it doesn't just stop when they get out of high school or when they get out of college. It's just worse when you get into a job. And that sense of having to do more and be more and earn more, it just never seems to go away. We live in this culture of busyness. So why does this matter? Why are we talking about busyness on a Sunday morning? And I want to suggest to you that the problem is not busyness in and of itself, but the problem is hurry. And maybe you hear those two words and you think, well, don't those words mean the same thing? But I don't think that they actually do. You see, busyness is defined this way. Busyness is when your calendar is full. It's when you simply have a lot to do. But hurry, on the other hand, hurry is when you are so busy that it requires you to actually move faster through life in order to get everything done. So busyness is when you've got a lot going on, but it's manageable. But hurry is when if everything doesn't just fall just right, then the whole house of cards just comes falling down. You see, hurry, it causes us to become frantic. It causes our minds just to begin to race and to spin. It causes us anxiety because we're, again, we're afraid that if that one thing doesn't go right, if I don't hit the light, if this appointment doesn't happen just now, the whole schedule falls apart. And ultimately, hurry drives us to this deep level of anxiety and stress and exhaustion. There's a pastor I follow. His name is John Mark Comer. A few years ago, he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And um, Comer's writings and this book in particular have been really impactful in my life in thinking about this idea of hurry and how it affects our spiritual lives. But he had this quote. He said that hurry is a form of violence on the soul. Hurry is a form of violence on the soul. See, the problem is not, is not just that our overcrowded schedules are costing us sleep and making it tired, but they are affecting us at the deepest level of who we are, at the very deepest level of our being. But hurry doesn't just affect us either. It doesn't just stop with what's going on in our souls. Hurry hurts our relationships too. If you've been married for any period of time, you've probably experienced this. You cannot be in a hurry and be in a healthy marriage at the same time, right? You have to have time to slow down, to be present, to listen. It's not enough just to be in the same room as somebody else, but to have your mind going in a thousand different directions. We have to be unhurried. The same is true for relationships with kids. They know when your mind is somewhere else, right? And so we have to learn to be unhurried and to be present in our relationship. And this is true in every relationship. It was true with friends and coworkers. Hurry kills relationships. But what I really want us to dive in on this morning is that hurry doesn't just kill our relationships with others. Hurry kills our relationship with God. Because when we're constantly in a hurry, when our bodies and then our minds are moving at a thousand miles an hour to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, it's simply impossible for us to have any sense of where God is at around us. It's impossible for us to have any awareness of how the Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of the people around us 
and in our lives. Our busyness and our hurry, it drowns out any God sense in our life. And we might, even, we might sit down to pray or we might sit down to read, our, read scripture, but the reality is often we're just too hurried to actually sense God's presence in that. And as a result of that, not only do we sit not sense God's presence, but we don't live in the peace and joy that we've been promised. We talk about peace and we talk about joy all the time in church and we sing songs about it. And yet the reality is for many of us who are following Jesus and myself included, we don't experience those things nearly as often as we should. And I think the problem at the core of this is our hurry. And so the question for us this morning is simply, how do we change that? How do we restructure our lives and reimagine them so that we can learn to take on a different pace and experience more of God's presence in our life. And so I think who better to turn to to answer that question than Jesus? So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want, you, I want to encourage you to turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And while, while you're turning there, let me just say this. You know, when we think about Jesus... We don't often think about Jesus being a busy person. But if you really think about it deeply, he was an extremely busy person. People always wanted something of Jesus. They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see him do a miracle or be healed by him. People were always coming to Jesus. And we'll talk about this a little more later, but we're constantly seeing Jesus go to great lengths just to find some solitude. Jesus was a busy, busy person. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he gives us this invitation. So read along with me, starting in verses 28. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the very first thing that Jesus says in this passage is, come to me. This is an invitation to follow Jesus, to be in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. That's what he's inviting us into here. And then he says at the end of verse 28, and as a result of that relationship, I will give you rest. And so the very first thing we see right off the bat in this passage is that the rest we need is found in Jesus, which is important because it tells us where we find this deeper rest, but it also tells us where we don't find this rest. It tells us that the rest we need because of the hurry in our life is not just another Netflix binge or another week-long vacation or just a nap. And don't get me wrong, those things are good. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. But we need something deeper than that. And that's what Jesus is offering here. He's offering us a deeper rest. If we skip down to the second half of verse 29, Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. 
And see, what Jesus is offering us here is not just a body-level rest, but a soul-level rest. Psalm 4610 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Many of you have probably heard it. It's one that's quoted often. It says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, this is one of those passages, though, that a lot, of, a lot is often lost in the translation from the original languages over to the English. And so there's a translation that I think a little bit better gets at the heart of what this passage actually means. It's the NASB version. And it says this, Stop striving and know that I am God. That word striving to me, it brings up this image of chasing after something. And that's what we're doing when we're in a hurry, right? That's what drives us to that hurry is that inner feeling of needing to earn, of needing to go after more, of needing to secure my own security and failing to trust God in it. But Jesus says, or God says, stop striving, That word actually in the original languages has some kind of war context and it's lay down your sword, like stop doing what you're doing, stop the fighting that you're fighting and be still and know that I am God. So many of you know that um, my wife Joanna and I, we have about an 11 week old baby Um, This is our first child, and I'm sure many of you hopefully can relate, or maybe it's just me, but when you have that first child, sometimes they're sitting there sleeping, and they're so still, you wonder if they're still alive. Like, especially if they're in really baggy clothes, and you can't see their chest kind of doing this, you're like, are they still there? And so, maybe I'm just a really bad dad, but on more than one occasion, I've just kind of reached down and poke, and every time I do, he'll do that number, and then it just goes right back to sleeping, But here's why I share that story with you, because that's what it looks like for us to be still in God. That's what it looks like for our souls to rest, to be so at rest, so still, because we are confident in the fact that God provides. We are confident in the fact that even if we stop going, stop doing, stop earning, that Jesus is enough, that he has provided for us what we need, and we can rest deeply in him. That's what he offers this, offers us. So I think this then begs us the question simply, why? Why do we not experience this rest? Why, even though many of us in this room have been following Jesus for years and years and years, why do we not experience this deep soul level, soul level rest? Why are we still hurried and frantic and stressed out and just chronically tired. So I want to look down at verse 29 together. After Jesus gives this invitation to come to him, he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, this passage can be kind of hard to make sense of in our day and age because we don't talk about yokes very often. But in Jesus' time, this would have been a very common idea. People would have known exactly what he was talking about. And a yoke in Jesus' day actually had two meanings. So the first definition, the first meaning of a yoke is simply a rabbi's teaching. So in Jesus' day, and even today, rabbis are master teachers of the Jewish law. They were the top crust of Jewish society. And these rabbis, what they would do is they would call a group of the best of the best of Israel to come and to follow them and to learn everything they possibly could from these rabbis. 
And those students would be called disciples. So often we think that Jesus made up this whole discipleship thing. He actually didn't. But Jesus did call disciples to him, himself. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is light, what he's really saying is my teaching load or my curriculum is light. Remember, Jewish rabbis of this day, they were notorious for piling on rules on top of rules on top of rules. Right? There was God's law, and then there was the religious leader's law. They were, they were saying, we're going to make sure that no one touches that law with a 10-foot pole. And so they just made a bunch more rules to throw on their followers. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, Jesus says, you can boil the whole law down to this. Love God and love your neighbor. And so Jesus' yoke, his teaching, it was light. But there's also a second meaning to that, to yoke, and I think it's going to be a little more helpful for us today. And that second meaning of a yoke is actually a farm tool that is used to connect two animals together for the sake of pulling a plow or some kind of load. So I think we got a picture of that. And when you look at that picture, honestly, it looks a little cruel, but when you understand why that's so important, why a yoke is so essential, it makes a little more sense. So you definitely could take these two animals and you could yoke them together. You could harness them separately and put them to the plow. But here's the problem with that. If you don't connect the two animals, they're going to have a very hard time working together. And so likely one animal is going to pull off in this direction and another one's going to pull off in this direction. And one's going to be pulling a little harder and the other one's going to pull a little softer. And as a result, they're just going to zigzag up and down the field, maybe go in some circles. They're not going to get the work done in a way that's efficient. Not only are they going to frustrate the farmer, they're going to exhaust themselves. But what a yoke does is it requires the animals to work together. Now, what's interesting is it does not require the animals to pull the same load. So you can have one way stronger oxen attached to a weaker one, and that's okay as long as they learn to walk together, which I think that tells us something really interesting about taking up Jesus' yoke that we don't have to pull all the load, that Jesus is doing the hard work when we enter into his yoke. But we have to learn to walk with him. When these animals put this yoke on, they have to learn to walk with each other step and step and step in the same direction. And so for us to take on Jesus's yoke means that we have to learn to walk as he walked, to learn to walk with him step by step, by step. That's the invitation that Jesus is giving us here, to walk with him. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus's speed was never fast. And we see this all over the gospels. So if you think about Jesus's life, he spends the first 30 years of it in anonymity. He comes on the scene for one day, gets baptized, hears the Father's affirmation of his identity, and then what does he do? He goes out into the wilderness or the place of solitude for 40 days. 30 years in anonymity, one day on the scene, 40 days to be alone with the Father. We see in other places too, we constantly see Jesus going to great lengths just to be alone with his Father. We see him climbing mountains. We see him waking up in the middle of the night. We even see him literally getting into a boat and rowing out into the middle of the lake just so he can be alone with the Father. 
We read about another story where Jesus is on the way to heal the daughter of a very important man. And all around him, there's these huge crowds thronging around him. People are touching him. People are trying to get a view of him. And one woman touches him. And what does he do? Does he just keep on going? and say, no, this is more important. I've got to get there. Oh, he stops right in the middle of it. All of the disciples, they think he's nuts. They're like, dude, there's a thousand people touching you. But Jesus stops right in the middle of that. Yeah, he had somewhere else to be, but he knew he needed to be present right there. We constantly see Jesus slowing down. You see, Jesus never got in a hurry. Busy? Absolutely. But he was never in a hurry. And so here's what this all boils down to. If we want to experience the peace and rest of Jesus, we have to adopt the pace of Jesus. We have to learn to walk with Jesus in his yoke, step and step and step. And so more than anything this morning, we simply want this message just to be a call to you to reflect. As we go into the new year, and this is a time when we all tend to take more on our schedules, to commit to doing more and more. We simply want to invite you into a call to stop and ask, how am I doing? And ultimately, how is my soul? Is your soul resting in Jesus? And hopefully for some of you in this room, that is the case. That you are abiding deeply in God, that you walk with him slowly, that you experience his peace and presence and joy as you go throughout your days but maybe your soul is tired or in Jesus's words, you are weary and burdened. You're exhausted, you're stressed out, you're anxious. How is your soul? And I think the reality for most of us in the room is going to be that we're somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, that sometimes we find ourselves in hurry, overloaded, stressed out, anxious. Other times, maybe we slow down and we experience more of God's grace, more of his peace, more of his presence. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is just simply give us a couple of practices to try and remedy this hurry that we face, to try to simply slow our minds and bodies and hearts to the pace of Jesus. And so I'm going to suggest just two practices here. Before I do that, though, I want to say this. These practices are not an end in of themselves, meaning if you do these things by themselves, they're not going to do any good, but they are a means to an end. They are a means of slowing ourselves down so that we might live in the presence of God. We might live in a deep relationship with Jesus. And so the first practice that I want to suggest to us today is the practice of slowing. Maybe not a practice you've ever heard anybody talk about at church, but here's the thing. Our minds follow our bodies. So how many of you have been in a hurry before? You think you're rushing out the door, you're trying to get somewhere, you pull the kids out the door, you drive in a hurry to get there. How many of you, when you did that, got to the place and were just like, ah, I feel so at peace. Never, right? Because our minds, they follow our bodies. And when our bodies are in a hurry, when we're moving quickly everywhere we go to get through life, 
Our minds follow. Our minds are not at peace. And so that's why we slow ourselves down. And so I'm going to offer a few simple ways that you do this. Some of these are just going to sound really weird. But again, remember, there is nothing spiritual in and of themselves in these things. They are simply ways of reorienting our lives and rewiring our minds and bodies to be more present to God. So the first thing I want to suggest is walking slower. Um, If you're outside today, I don't suggest this one today. But in general, walk slower. Smell the roses. Learn to be aware of what God is doing in and around you. Another one, drive slower. Same idea. Just don't be in such a hurry to get places. Leave home with plenty of time. Don't be the person who drives below the speed limit. Look, nobody has time for that. But slow down. Don't be in a hurry. Give yourself time. Next one, eat slower. Simply take time to eat. And this one has all kinds of benefits. Obviously, it's healthier. You connect with people when you're around a table. We have a greater sense of gratitude for the fact that God has put this food in front of us that 99% of the time we did nothing to prepare or nothing to um, you know, make. We didn't farm it. It's just here. So when we slow down, we take time to be grateful. But even just that routine of slowing down three times a day for a meal, it begins to slow our whole life down and slow the way we move through our days. And then let me give you one more idea. And this one's the craziest and the weirdest. So just bear with me. Get in the longer line at the grocery store. So you know we all play this game, right? When you're coming up to the grocery store line, you, you kind of get a, a few feet back. And I'm a little taller than most, so it's easy for me. I can just see right over the thing. But you kind of start to scan the scene, you know? And you're like, you're counting carts. And like, there's three carts in this lane, but there's two carts in this lane. But in this lane with two carts, there's that crazy lady, that, lady that's preparing for Armageddon with 8,000 items in her cart, right? And so you just, you, you do the math and you just subtly slide into the other line. But what if we just got in the first line we saw? Just get in line and wait and practice that opportunity to be still and to be patient. And again, nothing spiritual in and of that. But when we look for creative ways, and I'm sure you could come up with many more, but when we look for creative ways to begin to slow our bodies down, what it does is slows our minds down. It begins to make more room for us to experience life with Jesus. And so that's the first practice, is simply the practice of slowing. The second practice I want to suggest is the practice of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is something that's really important to us here at New Life. We talk about it all of the time. We just had a message series on it just last summer. So if this piques interest in you, let me encourage you to go back and to watch that sermon series because Sabbath is a really rich and beautiful thing, but there is a lot to it. There's a lot to think through. And as you begin to practice, if you haven't already, you'll find that Sabbath is tough. And so if this piques your interest, again, go back and watch that series. But at its core level, what Sabbath is, is just simply a rhythm of rest. Sabbath is a rhythm of stopping from our work for the sake of resting. But Sabbath is not just about not working. It's not just about turning on your favorite show or the ball game or going fishing. Those things might be great for you on Sabbath. But Sabbath is not just another day off. It's a day to deeply rest in God. 
You see, Sabbath is a way for us to acknowledge that even though we stop running and striving and chasing the next thing, that God will provide. And even if we stop, the house of cards won't all fall because God is the one who is in control and he provides what we need. He keeps us safe. And so Sabbath, in a way, is a way of pushing up back against that cultural narrative that says, I've got to go, 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 do, do, do. It's an opportunity for us to place our trust in God. And for us to say, look, even though I might have a to-do list a thousand miles long, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And as we do that, we begin to develop this posture of contentment, this posture of peace. And we leave behind that posture of earning and striving. The really cool thing about Sabbath, you know, a lot of times we think that Sabbath is the one day that I rest so that I can work better the other six days of the week. But I think that's actually kind of backwards. You see, what happens with Sabbath is it begins to reorient our minds where we live and we can actually work from a place of Sabbath. We work from a place of deep rest and contentment and so that when we work, no longer are we doing our work just for ourselves to earn. We trust God to provide for that, but we are actually free to go throughout our weeks and throughout our work life doing for the sake of others, doing out of love. You see, Sabbath, it has the power to change everything in our life. So how do we do this? How do we practice Sabbath? And again, there is a lot to this, and the best way to do it is just to get into it with trial and error, but Sabbath can be really tough. And so let me just offer you a few quick suggestions about how to begin to place this rhythm of rest into your life. Number one is this, start where you are. So by a biblical definition, Sabbath is a 24-hour period of rest. And if at all possible in your life, I would really encourage you to shoot for that at some point. My wife and I have been Sabbathing um, since the beginning of our marriage, basically. I don't think we're necessarily very good at it, but it is so life-giving to have that rhythm of a day of rest. But maybe 24-hour period, period is not realistic for you right now. Maybe you just can't start there. So if that's you, let me encourage you just to start with an hour or two hours or an afternoon. But the point is, find a rhythm of rest, a rhythm in your week where you know, I'm going to stop here and be with God. So start where you are. The second tip I give you is simply to plan. Now, I know I said earlier, Sabbath is not about having everything on your to-do list done, because if you do that, you'll never Sabbath. But there is something to be said for planning. And so for Joanna and I, this simply means that the day before we Sabbath, there's a few things we know we need to do in order to set ourselves up to rest well. And so most of it's just typical weekly chores around the house. We clean, dust, vacuum, yada, yada. If we need, we need groceries, we get groceries. We make sure we've thought through the food for the Sabbath. That way, like we're not running out grocery shopping and all of a sudden we're not really enjoying rest. So we plan for Sabbath, and that looks different for everybody, but to deeply enter into that rest requires a level of planning and thinking through your Sabbath. So that's the second tip, is simply to plan. And then finally, the third tip I would give you is this, it's worship. Now, maybe you're thinking like, we think about Sabbath, and we think Sabbath as Sunday, and if that works for you to have your Sabbath, have that rhythm of rest on Sunday, that's great. And so you have this opportunity to come in here and start your Sabbath in community, 
in worship, in God's word. And that is a beautiful way just to orient ourselves towards God. But maybe for you, you work this afternoon or you're not here, you just work, your, your schedule's inconsistent or whatever. Maybe you use Sabbath on Wednesday afternoon or Saturday. Sabbath is not tied to a day. We think it's Sunday for Jesus. It was Friday night to Saturday night. So Sabbath is not about a specific time. And so when I say worship, I don't necessarily mean you have to be in this room. This is, again, a fantastic way to orient yourself as you head into a Sabbath day. But when I say worship, what I'm saying is do things that orient your mind and your heart towards God and that give him honor and glory. Because again, Sabbath is not just a day off. That's what separates a day off, Sabbath from a day off. It's worship. So do things that orient your heart and your mind towards God and that give God praise. So maybe that is being in God's word, spending time in prayer. Maybe you are singing songs of worship, but maybe it's more just things like being outside in creation, doing what gives you life and draws you closer to God. Believe it or not, for some people, that might be something like going for a run. For others of us, that is the opposite of worship, right? And so you got to decide for yourself, what is worship? But worship is what separates a day off from Sabbath, because Sabbath, again, is not just about stopping from work. It's about drawing our minds and our heart's attention towards God, the one who provides for us. So we Sabbath by worshiping. And again, these practices, they're not an end in of themselves, Right? The goal of slowing down is not that we would just find ourselves in some kind of zen-like state in life. And the goal of Sabbath is not just to be better at work the other six days of the week. The goal is that we might slow our lives down to a pace where we follow Jesus, to the pace of Jesus. And so Cody said in the video, next week we're starting this Pursue series where we're going to be looking at a few of the core disciplines or the core practices for us as followers of Jesus. These things that are essential if we want to take up the light yoke of Jesus. So things like being in scripture, prayer and worship and being in community. And all of these things are essential to following Jesus. But these practices like slowing and Sabbath In some ways, these are precursors for us to those practices because these practices allow us to slow ourselves and slow our minds to where where we can receive what God has for us in those. So not an end in itself, simply a means to an end. But as we wrap up, I just want to say this. This is very, very hard to do. This is one topic that's easy to talk about, but much harder to actually begin to change the pace of your life. I told you about that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I picked that up right at the beginning of 2020, um, right like just a month or two into COVID. Um, and I know that COVID was a really difficult season for a lot of people, um, but it also turned out to be a really good season to examine your pace of life and to slow down. And for me, it was that in a major way. And starting to think about this really has changed radically what it looks like for me to follow Jesus But at the same time, I still struggle with this immensely. And I've done a lot of reading and a lot of listening and a lot of trying to slow my life down. And I'll just tell you, it's hard. And part of that for me is probably personality. I'm a little bit of a go, go, go personality. I don't know if any of you have ever watched the show, The West Wing, but the main character in there is the president of the United States. His favorite line is, what's next? And that's kind of how I think. And so that's probably how many of you are as well. And so Some of that's personality, and maybe it's easier for you to stop and slow down. And 
thank God if that is true for you, but maybe it's not. But I don't think it's all personality. We talked about that culture of busyness and hurry earlier. And I think that's a lot of what makes this so difficult. Is if you do actually set out to slow your life down and to reorient it, to learn to walk at the pace of Jesus, it will be extremely countercultural. People eventually are just going to think you're flat out weird, right? And you're going to have to turn down opportunities that on the surface level might look good. It's going to require some difficult decisions, and it's just, again, it's going to make you look different than the world around you but it is so worth it. But just know that in that there is grace. That God is not sitting there angry at us for not slowing down. Instead, there is an invitation to come and to follow me, to take up the light yoke of Jesus. But here's the thing. The only reason that we can take up the light yoke of Jesus is because he himself took up a different kind of yoke. Not a yoke used for farming, but an instrument of torture and death. And by taking up that yoke, the cross, he made it possible that you and I might have life with him, that you and I might enter into his light yoke and walk step and step with him. But it's only possible because of what Jesus has done. And so the invitation that he gives us today is simply Come and follow me. Learn to live as I live and walk as I walk.